Korea, South Korea went there in April. This one from that 2020 before all hell broke loose. Or the world collapsed. I know, it's like crazy. I think. That's good? Or should I say? Should I say the back? What do you guys think? Pretty good? Yeah. Okay. Good experience. <laughs> All right, so I'll just ask, I'll begin the rundown, and then I'll ask you both of the arm just to say your names, I introduce yourselves, and we will begin, okay? All right, so, um, one, two, three. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Caroline Talks. I'm your host, Caroline Hayes, film critic and journalist, and this is the podcast slash YouTube channel where I speak to film creatives around the world about their work, the industry, and what inspires them. And today, I am joined by two filmmakers, I'm the creator and the executive producers of an Israeli series called Bad Boy, and this one is, it was shocking, but it's also kind of up my alley because I love shows and films about the people it sounds cliche but about the human condition but i love this one because it talks about the stress that teenagers go through in their lives and i love films and shows that highlight things that teenagers go through especially the the trials and tribulations that adults put them through so bad boy is having its um, world is international premiere here at tiff in 2023 so i'm so happy for you to be talking with me and congratulations on the Thank premiere so first of all please it, yeah so first of all please introduce yourselves um, I'm Hagar Ben Hashem, um, an Israeli, New Yorkish, Tel Avivish, <laughs> I don't know, filmmaker. Mm. Um, I'm Ron Hashem, I'm a writer. Mm, right, so as I mentioned, so Bad Boy is about um, this young, well, it's, a, it's it kind of like time travels a bit because it's about Dean, and it starts out at the beginning, him um, on, on a, doing a stand up comedy bit, basically going through his life and, t- and making using his, his horrific life experiences to as for comedic effect to talk to the audience and like the people are laughing but I'll, I'll be honest first when the show starts I couldn't figure out what language he was speaking because he was going so quick I was like is this Arabic is it French I was like what is he talking about but, but then but then it was but then it got into the rhythm of the way he was speaking and I realized and then like he kind of breaks it down in the, in the comedy bit which I think is an extremely good bit of writing where like you, he tells you basically that he has ADHD and he um and he um, like he speaks that way because of how his mind functions. So I want you first to talk about making a story of, like Bad Boy about this because it's based on a true story. Yeah. <laughs> no, it started. Oh, yeah, so, no, it started. Oh, it's it's, it's started. started. Usually, you know this. Oh, I've always been crying about. Oh, it took so many years, but you know what? Like, this is how the industry works. Yeah. I, mean, I, I was always talking about. Oh, how we were fighting to convince everyone to create Euphoria in the yeah. U.S. And it, yeah. seven years, everyone said no. Uh, but then uh, uh, we met and Dan Levi was um, fighting for the same over the mm-hmm. same years to create Stranger Things and everyone said no to it and, yeah. and Matthew Weiner wrote the Mad Men pilot in mm-hmm. 1994 yeah. and it was aired in 2008 so yeah. I can't complain but <laughs> it took 20 years and wow. years. So I was trying, no I was a 20 year old journalist and, we, and I was uh, doing a story in the juvenile jail and, yeah. and, and I kind of felt that this story must be told I want to live inside this world much longer but Every executive, TV executive said it, you can't do such a show about kids in jail. It's like the audience is not ready for mm-hmm. it. And even when we pitched Euphoria the first time, it was kind of this show, but everyone mm-hmm. said no to it. But then when the humor uh, tool came as a, like the brilliant moment, we realized that one of the boys 
uh, became a very successful stand-up comedian, suddenly we could start thinking of how how you will make it, mm. right? And then how did you become involved with the project? From the way you're, you're talking, your camaraderie, you both work with each other very well. You've been doing this for years? No, no. Um, no <laughs> but but I have said, like, she said no to every single TV production in Israel in history because oh, she was true. just doing her, like, very bold and, and mm. smart and beautiful mm. filmmaking, right. but also doing Hollywood shows. Mm. She always said, and I know, like, the, the, the biggest uh, executives in the Israeli television always saying, like, she always say no to anything. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> worth us trying to convince her. So. No, because working in Israel is, is difficult for mm. various reasons, but um, but also there was never something that, right. you know, grabbed my attention until Ron came with, with the story mm. saying, you know, I want to do um, a show about... Uh, troubled kid that gets arrested, taken to juvie, but it's not a depressing, manipulative juvie show, mm. but it's a, the story of a guy who becomes a stand-up comedian yeah. in prison and finds his humor in the worst place a kid could ever be in. And something about you know that contrast just left me breathless and, and uh, because I've never seen, you know, an approach like this to such harsh content. Right. And you, you mentioned a word that's now there that I wouldn't have thought of. You said manipulative, like a, a type of manipulative shows. I, I kind of have an idea of what you mean, but can you explain what you meant in that context, especially with regards to this type of story? You, you know, when, when you put kids on screen, something, uh, there's an automatic compassion mm -hmm. and, and there's, you know, a, an automatic... Um, you know, will for them to, yeah. to be okay. And then basically as creators, you know, we can do something that will work mm. in a way very easily. You know, Ron keeps saying, he kept saying, we, we need to avoid doing Oz with kids. Right, okay. Because that is just manipulative content because it will work, mm -hmm. but it's also um, exploitive right. in a way. And, and I think it, it can, you know, it has. Um, I don't think it's it's right. Right. You mean that like sometimes I can I know what you mean because there you can sometimes when you're watching a film or a show you can tell when the writers are try or the directors are trying to get the audience to feel. They're trying to push the audience into feeling specific emotions exactly. instead of letting them just develop the emotions naturally and like exactly. not if the character is meant to be disliked. You're not trying mm -hmm. to force them to dislike them. Just let their own. That they're what's happening inform the way they are, and I, I agree, and I, I I believe in that because there are some films I think I watch. I be like, especially for instance, using a villain. I'm like, I don't want to feel sorry for the villain because you're just straight up evil and you deserve to be disliked and hated, mm -hmm. and you know, and like. But then there's like they're trying to be like, but understand, I do not need to understand your motivations. Exactly. You're evil, let it be. You know, so I get with you. And for this show, like, it doesn't feel manipulated because for like the main character of Dean. He is, he's a very troubled young man. Yes, he has, um, I would believe at that time, on, no, no, it's not, it's, it is diagnosed because his mom offers him the medication and refuses to take it. And in that, in him refusing to take the medication, I, I immediately thought, I understand you're young, I understand you're a teenager and you're 
you like you want you're he's developing his own willpower he's developing autonomy over his own body and over his own decisions but in that in making the decision not to take the pills i was also like you're stressing your mom out you're doing a disservice to yourself right so like i would i didn't feel guided to like immediately sympathize with him because i i understand like the me because i I have friends who have adhd when i was young i was diagnosed with um what did they call it they called it uh hyperactive disorder but i I haven't been diagnosed as an adult i probably should go back but that's what i was diagnosed with as a child and i also have dyslexia i was diagnosed with dyslexia at the same time so there were things that the doctors and my mom wanted me to do and it was just be like let me find my own way to get this done especially with like the dyslexia i need to read i have to learn to move at my own pace but i still had to like listen to the things that i knew would make me better and dean is in that point where he has to learn to that everything that an adult is telling you isn't for your own detriment isn't because they hate you and isn't because they like you that they want you to be better but he doesn't understand that so i want you to tell me about making a character like dean about dean like that because the thing with dean is he he's not good and he's not bad he sits very much in a gray line and for we don't get that very often for teenage characters you know we for teenage characters is very either black or white it's very uh, it's not very often we get them in the gray area and especially the gray area that is very understandable in multiple ways like i just explained about like his mom's perspective and it's a roller coaster what you feel towards him because you're not really sure for you he's a storyteller so mm-hmm. and, and at points you fall in love with him and still you are disturbed and, and you're not sure i mean yeah. is he lying is it not right mm-hmm. yeah i think that in many ways i mean I'm very happy with the the way that you read him because yeah. in in many ways that was our intention because he's a complicated piece of human being mm-hmm. and uh, and that complexity is really what uh, intrigued us because he's very very funny but he's also seeking trouble um, he loves his mom he hates his mom. He wants to be a funny guy, but he hates being a funny guy because he wants to be a badass. Um, he wants to, you know, play with the tough boys, mm-hmm. but he also wants to stay home with his mom. Mm-hmm. So there's something about his, you know, his perspective on reality, yeah. which we felt um, was different, mm-hmm. and and that's I think in many ways what defined both the writing. And the cinematic language. Mm-hmm. He's a dichotomy. Yes. He's, he's a dichotomy, yes. right? And like he contra- he contradicts himself in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing for a, a male character. So another one that's a dichotomy is the character Zorro, who's in this juvenile detention. And it's even really a juvenile detention center because there's a grown man in this in, in this same prison. But there's a character, the character Zorro, who's there because he co- committed an extremely brutal and violent crime, but the way how you introduce Zorro is very different to how you introduce Dean. Dean is straight up with his mom as a teenager, antagonistic. Mm-hmm. Like, just straight up, but Zorro, who is in prison for what is established very early, a very violent crime, is almost given a, is given a very human um, entry in that he's very quiet. And I, and I think it's really interesting that there's a scene where the other boys tell Dean what Zorro did and how they leave him alone and they shun him because they themselves are afraid of him because they don't know what he's going to do. But I thought it was interesting to have the guard 
be the person to tell Dean you can trust Zara, or you can stick with Zara, that Zara is going to be the one that's going to shelter you. So I thought it was really interesting to have the guardian particularly the person to say, he may be violent, but this is someone that can protect you, and someone who can, like, be there for you. And the way he does it is so smart. He says, just introduce yourself. Just tell him your name yeah. and let him take it from there. Like you're bringing kids to a play date, right? Yeah. But, and, and the thing is that, you know, it, because with... Um, for a long time, I used to think of like, oh, 15 is the new, is the new 25. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 40 is the new 25 as well, right? So you're just kind of stuck in the same place. Because yeah, I was saying, yeah, this is like, we all, it's kind of 25. <laughs> like when you're 15, you're exposed today mm-hmm. to things that you're not ready. But then working on this, suddenly you realize that 15 is kid is yeah, a kid you don't have the yeah. tools to make decisions it's not the it's definitely not the new 25 yeah. <laughs> um so so in in that aspect and and since you want to watch he, uh, dean's entrance mm-hmm. through dean's eyes and he arrives there and people are telling him this boy is a psychopath mm-hmm. and a brutal killer and then he sees a boy who's the most beautiful creature funny uh, mm-hmm. athletic and he said can it be so the first thing the first reaction is it's kind of being attracted to him. His first reaction is, can it be? I mean, is, I mean, you're attracted to the mystery also, but is he a killer? So we were trying to see how Dean looked at the at the new relationship, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I think, and it, and it, that's an interesting thing because the because in having as I because the funny thing because I was mentioning villains like you can have villains who are just straight up evil and they don't need to have a backstory. We don't need right. to know their life. But Zaro is. He's, he's not a villain to me, but he's a villain to everyone within the show. Like, the characters see him as a villain, but he's the one I'm like, I need to know what you did. I need to know who, like, how did you end up here, right? And, and, but the only, I only got to screen two episodes, but, like, I'm, I'm like, I need to know more about this character. I need to know what brought this child to the point that he was in, because you can, people will say, okay, he killed someone. And, like, just, there is no justification for murder. But you want to know like what could have been so bad that it brought him to this point, especially yes. at such a young age. And I think it's in and the thing and the thing with shows like this, especially around teenagers, is so complicated. And like I have to say for what I've seen so far, I have to commend you on handling the story the way you're handling it, because I think you're being very careful, like not to be too gratuitous in telling us how violent these kids are, how bad they are, how yeah. misunderstood they are, you know? Like, for instance, there's a young character, I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a young character that we're introduced to, and he is kind of like Zaro, but a bit more extroverted, Yes, you know? I think he's, you know, and the thought just occurred to me, Zaro's the person, Zaro is within the prison, but this other character is kind of the person on the outside of who Zaro could have been if he was outside the prison. Right. And that's some, something very terrible happens to that person. But the way you film this, it, but the way these, this particular sequence is done is not gratuitous. I love that you didn't make the violence the point of this sequence. And like for this entire show, the violence isn't the point. It's about the circumstances True. that leads to the violence. So like, how important is it to both of you to make sure that with a show that has such difficult subject topics like violence, trauma, abuse, you know, like gun violence, there's a scene with a gun, with, a, with that one with the mom. I was like, what? And but but even but even the way it's filmed is kind of artistic and it's not gratuitous. So talk to me about the, having about how important it is to make sure that the violence isn't the point. Yeah, I think it's you know it, it's always a dilemma. It's a dramatic mm-hmm. dilemma because in one 
you know, in, in, in a very basic perspective, you want to be understandable, you know, you, you want people to, to relate to the drama, to understand the drama. So sometimes things just need to be laid out simply. But we thought that, you know, that in this case, because we're basing the stories on true stories, but the true stories are, you know, we don't know if they're truthful or not, if they happened or not, and they are, you know, the fruit of the memory of, mm -hmm. of someone, uh, and they could have been changed, they could have been anything at all. So our, you know, our, 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 our approach mm -hmm. to the way that we tell the stories was, was this, we are not, um, you know, signing a contract with yeah. the audience saying this is how it was because this is filmmaking and it's TV and cinema and storytelling. So we allowed ourselves, you know, to to have scenes that are a bit surreal. Yeah. Yes, that one with the gun. With the gun. It's a very surrealistic I mean, sense story. Very surrealistic, and and we allowed ourselves to be a bit over the top, and we allowed ourselves at the same time to be, you know, very. Um, hyper dramatic and naturalistic as in the scene that you were talking about the violent scene you were talking mm -hmm. about I don't want to ruin it and, <laughs> and I think that this dynamic mm -hmm. between the genres and between the cinematic approaches I think that's what eventually makes everything possible and, and because we have you know humoristic unreal scenes combined with hyper-realistic scenes, I think that's, you know, our, let's say, magic tool. Mm. Mm. And for you, like, what's the same thing about, like, making sure that the violence isn't the point? I think, I, for, for me, it always felt, I, I know how, uh, from the perspective of, of the filmmaker who, who creates this visual philosophy yeah. for this, it's it's the most complicated thing, but for me it was clear always that it will never be. This is why when we say it, it shouldn't be in Oz with kids because mm -hmm. it's manipulative. That's the thing. We, we yeah. the story has so many other layers that are so important for us and other themes that they was never we, we were never meant to be yeah. violent. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you need to understand that you need to fill the the stakes because you enter a place where the kids are singing songs from Disney one moment and yeah. then and then uh, killing each other the other minute, but it shouldn't be about violence. That's mm -hmm. not the thing. Um, and, that's, and that's the thing, you are trying to reinvent genres. If you're not surprising, if the genres are not surprising today, then the show is kind of something you've already seen. So, so that's, that's, if you are expecting to get the violence out of a prison with kids, then this is the wrong answer. Right. right? It needs to be realistic, it needs to be emotional realism, but it never needs to be what you expect to get. Right. Yeah. You can't. You can't ignore the violence because the violence is there. It's like the nature, the beast of where they yeah. are. Exactly. But it's about realizing that these the violence is just a part of the circumstances. Yeah. It's not everything around them because they still manage to find like. And that's the thing about like you mentioned like they're singing Disney songs and then killing each other. That's the thing about kids and like just like going to like normal everyday like kids are extremely resilient and they're also extremely adaptable. Right. Like like their minds are able to compartmentalize very quickly and very easily and that's something like for where the trauma where especially experiencing trauma like yes they can compartmentalize and like lock away in memory for like years or decades or even forever 
but then sometimes it's not only just a, a defense mechanism sometimes it's just the way that they think you yeah. know it's just the way that they just like look at life very simplistically they're like okay so these toys belong to me so i'm gonna make everything that i have i love about these toys related to me like you can't play with my toys unless you get to play with me that's a form of compartmentalization because yeah. they they, uh, they assign like um ownership to specific things it's like if they love colors they're like i love the colors and i'm gonna make everything about these mm -hmm. colors yeah so like it's the same thing in the show and like with dean you mentioned before he's naturally funny but he doesn't want to be funny you know he wants to be a badass and that's a way of compartmentalizing he's like i want to be a badass and he thinks being a badass means that you can't be funny yeah you know yeah. he thinks that being a badass means like walking around with a gun and acting tough when it's like you're not tough like you you like really? like like this skinny white boy. This skinny white boy. Like, dude, like, like, dude, you need to be putting on stuff. You need to be worrying about sunblock and like sunburn and not worrying about guns. But the thing is, like, he is naturally funny. The funny thing that I, that when I was watching was like, it's interesting because for a lot of people, they intentionally use humor as a defense mechanism. They intentionally use humor to disarm people, to right. intentionally get out of situations. But for him, it just comes naturally. Right. You know, like when he when he goes into the into the main um, prison the first time he says uh, anyone here looking for a stripper he, and and, they, and he's also very quick on the uptick because he mentioned the stripper thing because of something someone has said to him before right. and he just immediately and he immediately took that as a part of his vocabulary and say you know what I can take this and turn it into a joke but he didn't even think about it it just came to him naturally so talk about developing the humor of this character and developing the humor of this show because most of the humor all, all the humor from what I've seen so far comes from him and just from his natural inclination to, to like find, to see yeah, his observations and being able to find the absurd in the most ridiculous situations. And I, I don't know, like if you thought of it, only here I realized that a lot of people who watch this do not understand that the guy who's playing Daniel, the, the mature dean, is yeah. the real person. He I was wondering, the, I was wondering him. that. Like, I, I figured that because the reason I thought that it was him because like as I said, the opening monologue, he's so quick. That came very natural. He was like, that seems so natural. Yes. I'm like, I'm like, yes, an actor can do it. But I was thinking, that feels very natural. And like the way he was looking into the mirror, I was like, I was in my head. I was wondering, I was like, is he just kind of like rethinking of everything that he has? And you mentioned like, and we were talking about for kids, like they compartmentalize memories. Yeah. And like the twenty year skit is like he's not being forced to face memories that he's not that he locked away. Right. right. So like for you, like you said. It's based on a true story, like, but even then, you don't even know if everything that he told you is explicitly the truth because it, his memories have been altered over the years. And our our memories do that. Like we, we like we remember something very distinctly, but as we get older, but <laughs> it's even age, like, yeah. like science wise, every time you remember something, you don't really remember it. Every time you get remembered of something, you, when you touch this page mm. of the book, this page of the book is erased. Yeah. That's the thing. And next time you will and you rewrite it. You touch a memory, you erase it, the cell in your hand, in your brain, you touch, you erase it and then remember, rewrite it. Mm. And then the next time you'll remember it will be just remembering the last time that you thought of it, the yeah. last time that you remember it. Yeah. So basically, you not only when touching it, you, you spoil it and, and you put dirt in it and you rewrite it in so many ways, but it's never the authentic memory right. of it in your, in, like physiologically in, mm. in your brain. But, but the fact that we kind of got to know him as a real character and got to know his humor was suddenly, it was, um, I think even for a girl more than for myself, it was, um, writing it was kind of suddenly natural. She could write his act. Mm. Like, 
his it's him like the the way because yeah. you're sensitive to the way he he makes you laugh then you you know how to right get into this identity mm -hmm. but we had him and he, he he was a huge asset in that aspect because mm -hmm. he's the real thing mm -hmm. he's not like nothing else yeah and and it's saying that i want to talk and in talking about altered memories with regards to age it's interesting to me about dean as a teenager too is i think he has a lot of altered memories about his mom because he says things about his mom and like you get the sense that he hates her and you're like like he says things like she called you and i'm like at first i was doubting him i'm like but did she but then i'm like okay so maybe she did call the police on him but she again she did it for his protection for his own good but he doesn't see that don't mind never of course she didn't anticipate he would end up in the type of situation that he did in that prison because exactly. in her head she's thinking of prison as one thing but the reality is very different yeah. so like you can see why he would blame her from the inside because he's like this is the hell you put me in but from the outside she's just thinking i thought that this this would be a safe place for you which is kind of like ironic because thinking of a prison as a safe place but she's like yeah. I, it would either be that or possibly a mental institution because people would people who a lot of people don't understand like things like ADHD and autism and like a lot of neurodivergent conditions you right. know so depending on the cultures of the places like they wouldn't understand it, but like you're difficult so I'm going to put you someplace where like, me, like country with medication or restraints or anything so like, I can see where she was coming from but talk to me again about how about his perception of his mom because we get to see her both be that again that scene with the gun like that I think that's possibly my favorite scene that I've seen <laughs> just not only because of the way it's filmed but it says so much about her like you want to know so much like okay like you are familiar with guns <laughs> and like you kind of have you're kind of a badass I could see her being like an action figure or like leading a thing but tell me about the mom and uh, how he sees his own mom and and like how she sees him and how she sees herself because she's very protective of him like she yeah. cares about him she loves him like she turned it back at midnight with the, like she's like i have a bag and like yeah. i need yeah. to get this bag to my son because i got the idea that for these kids in the prison they see the moms providing the bags as a symbol of love right because they're like oh your mom oh, his mom didn't turn up with a bag for him yeah. so like even the most violent ones they're like at least my mom turned up with a bag for me like your mom did it so how bad could you be if your own mom didn't bring yeah. a bag for you yeah yeah. Yeah. Me? Okay. <laughs> you can pass it out there. No, no, no. No, it's it's. Uh, I think I think. No, I was looking at him like this because we both have a special relationship with this specific relationship mm. in the show. Um, one loves it for a specific reason. Uh, I love it for a specific for a different reason, and and I think we both care a lot about mm -hmm. this relationship. No. You know, I think in the in life's court, a mother will never be uh, guilt-free, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's um, it's always a mom's fault, and yeah. the mother is responsible for everything, and and uh, and it's almost uh, like the, the basis of a relationship. Mm -hmm. I blame you. Yeah, you try to get clean of, of this guilt and I mean being a mom is basically being guilty from the first day to the last day of your life um, and being a child is blaming your parents for every problem you have in your life and 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 I think that you know what for me what we try to accomplish is is really to, to say just that um, there's no right or wrong 
it's nobody's fault it's everybody's fault um, you know and and there's no court in the world that could ever um, define if a mother is a good mother or a bad mother you know putting aside obvious cases yeah um, and I think that this fragility of this relationship um, and the uncertainty that it holds um, and you know and, and the fact that he sees her as a monster and mm -hmm. he sees her as a liar and she fears him but she loves him and this endless amount of emotion we pretty much allowed ourselves to use it all mm -hmm. to put it all there and for 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 me I think you know we did a, a bold if I may you know tap on our shoulders I think we did a bold decision here because it's hard to portray something that has um, so many angles too and, you know, I, uh, I never met uh, Xavier Bolan, but I, oh, I felt envy at him for doing, uh, I, I, I am a mommy and I killed my mother. <laughs> yeah. I kind of, I felt, I always felt like this, this relationship where you're not even sure, like, is, is she in her mind where the, the, the single mother living with the child, is he kind of her partner, is he her child, is he like, and, and you're not sure really if she is sane or not, if mm. she's just having mm. trouble handling his um, uh, hyperactive disorder or is it or is she hallucinating when she's blaming him and, and things but but they're sometimes they're kind of lovers and they're very intimate sometimes he is his mother and sometimes she he, he is the man of the house and some and I think he he passionately loves her in as the same way that he hates her mm -hmm. and and these relationships are, are kind of fun, something else. she he, he is obsessed with her because he needs her and he really he knows that he needs her and and I think that you're not sure if he if she if she had no other choice but calling the police and maybe she called the police just to f uh, frighten him to mm -hmm. scare him. She never thought they would take him. Especially the way they did, because they just rolled up and there took yeah. him out the house with justice yeah. underwear. I was like, first of all, that is a child. Why are you taking him outside in justice underwear? Yeah. Shame on you. It's a true story. That's true. Like, it right? happened. It happened yeah. this way. Mm. So because he refused to take his bag, he refused. To, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. now I'm coming back in a few hours. And yeah. Yeah, so uh, we have to wrap up now. So, but I do want to ask you, um, what do you think? I, I, I'm not even going to ask you what you want people to think about this show. I want to ask you, what have you learned about the show after that it has been made? Because like, you're, what you're filming and what you're writing is a continuous creative process. Yeah. But once your, the final cut is made and you throw it at a film festival, you're getting to see it as an observer and seeing other people's um, observations about it. What have you learned about this show and about this story and about these characters that you didn't know about them before because I think these, these characters are living characters especially because like you do have the royal dean to work with like what had what, what did you learn about it I think it's Your the first time. time it's the first time people <laughs> yeah. are seeing this mm -hmm, yes. we, we no one had ever the the cast who you met yesterday this is going to be the first time they see a scene Oh, okay, so they, so, haven't, so they didn't so, get to screen it before. Oh, so, okay. And, and, and no journalists, by or not, no one saw this before mm. this week. So we are now really kind of exploring their first reactions. And, ah, and, we are, okay. and, and it's, it's just, it's a gift and it's incredible how people are, are 
not just diving into this, but really care for understanding the yeah. themes and the characters and the motivations. But everyone who talks to us brings some things, some new things to the table yeah. and sees it differently. I mean, yeah. but we were really afraid of the question of will the humor travel because mm. of language barriers and will it translate and can it work in other countries? And, and it's amazing to see in the first screening the, the audience laughed. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that it's also really interesting to see, as always, in every creation, I guess, that everybody finds his own way into it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what you said today pretty much enlightened so many other perspectives yeah. than we ever discussed, you know, mm -hmm. so that's really fun. And that will yeah. maybe also help us to finish the show. <laughs> Wait, why? We no, we're still editing. What? And still, yeah. Oh, <laughs> No, but so it's actually helpful. So yeah. thank you. Great. Okay. Thank you so much for taking the time thank to you. talk to me. I said, congratulations on the show. And I really can't wait to see. How many episodes were you intending? Eight. The first season, yeah. Yeah, no, it makes sense because you have a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. So thank you Thanks so for much. Thank you very much. Congratulations to you Thanks. and to everyone and to the cast. Thanks. Thanks. Thank, thank you very much. <laughs> So everyone, this was another episode of Carolyn Talks, and this was one of my special interviews for the 2023 Toronto HHS Film Festival. And in this episode, I discussed the Israeli series Bad Boy, which had two episodes screened at the festival. It was co-created by Ron Lashem, who is the creator of the original series that the HBO series Euphoria is based on. And we and we were joined by series director Hagar Benasha. And I'm so thankful for them for taking the time to speak with me about this series. I think we had a really good conversation about the topics that are explored in this series, such as bullying, abuse, um, neurodivergency, because as is revealed, Dean, who's played by Guy Menastar, uh, by Guy Menastar, is the character it has ADHD, and it that a lot of that informs his behavior and a lot of it shows uh, why he doesn't think of consequences the way he should and his relationship with his mother played by Netta Plotnik and she's fantastic they're both fantastic and it's going to be interesting to see how the story of Zorro played by half Tamil Frida and their this relationship between Zorro and Dean and I'm thinking also maybe um Zorro and Dean's mother how their relationship develops because her her calling the police on Dean has some very unforeseen and violent consequences and how that's going to affect him emotionally, mentally, perhaps physically as well, and their relationship. And does it make their relationship better over time or will it make it worse and cause a permanent strain on the relationship? We don't know. And I don't know because as it was discussed in the interview, the this the series hadn't been finished um editing and being produced while I was talking to Ron and Hagar. So I was very surprised to learn that. But also I as it was revealed in the interview, like I guess the what we discussed in the interview is gonna perhaps have help them to see their series in a different way, maybe approach the remaining editing and production of the series differently. I don't know, but I had a fantastic time talking with them. We didn't have as much time as I would normally have, but you know how this is how it is in festivals. You get like maybe eight, 10, 20 minutes, um, 30 if I'm lucky with um, with guests, but I always appreciate every minute and every second I have to talk with my guests. And this was a really um, good interview. And this was also a very busy day. That day I had multiple interviews to do. So it was also, and it was this one was their first one for that day, but it was really good. And um, I appreciate um, Ron and Hagar taking the time to, to speak with me. 
And um, as usual, you'll find the video version of this interview on my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com at sign Carolyn underscore Heinz. That's H-I-N-D-S. You'll find other interviews for TIFF there as well as the New York Asian Film Festival, which was earlier this summer in August, as well as links to interviews that I did for the Busan International Short Film Festival. The playlist for that, it would say K-Crush America. I did because I covered that for um, K-Crush America magazine, which is a digital Asian entertainment magazine. And all of the coverage I did for previous festivals I sent us, as well as for African-American Film Critics Association, virtual roundtables, those ones are always fun. Those um, are interviews that we do with creatives, um, Black creatives in the film and television industry. And we had some really good ones this year as well. You can find links to all of my published podcasts, YouTube channels, writing, interviews, everything on my R3 pages, authryway.com slash Carolyn Hines. Find me on Instagram and Twitter at CarrieCNH12. That's C-A-R-R-I-E-C-N-H12. I have a TikTok too, but I haven't posted on there in a while. So that's it. Um, and I'll be on Twitter until, you know, to the very bitter end. And um, I think that's it. I'm going to wrap up now. But as usual, I always like to have or to thank people for listening to my podcast. If you're a new listener, thank you for taking the time to listen to this. If you're a veteran listener, thank you for all the support. I've also recently started adding a GoFundMe link and a Patreon link because it has been a little bit difficult for me financially because of the strike, I haven't many, I wasn't having pitches accepted, which put a financial strain on me. And producing my podcast and YouTube channel by myself doing all the editing can is very time consuming, but it can also be kind of pricey because I have to pay for all the platforming myself, equipment, and for the programs that I use for the editing and everything. All of that comes out of pocket. So I would appreciate any donations that can be given to my GoFundMe in the link provided in the description box, as well as at my PayPal me. And um, yeah, so that's it until the next episode of Carolyn Talks, everyone. Stay safe. Bye.